So halfway through this morning's session, uh, six together uh, in our time, and this morning the sixth character quality we want to discuss that's foundational to us learning how to man up is the subject of leadership, and I have to admit to you it is uh, difficult for me to wait all the way to the sixth session to get to this subject because this is something that I'm extremely passionate about. I hope you are as well, just not only that I would be walking in such things myself, but I uh, just have a real heart to be able to in- encourage uh, other men in this way and by observation have seen how this has been uh, a real determining factor uh, in marriages, in families, in churches, uh, in businesses. I mean, this is just such an absolutely essential thing and something that unfortunately in a lot of ways is really, I feel like, decaying uh, in our modern culture. So. Uh, certainly, this is really important. There's a reason I wait until the sixth session to discuss that, and I'll allude to that at some point in our time together. But again, a major component, like the other things we've talked about, discipline and uh, conscientiousness and commitment and these other things to us building a stable and an inspired course as a man is us developing this quality in our lives of being a man who can exhibit the trait of being a leader. Uh, John Maxwell, who's written a lot of stuff, you may have read some of it, on the subject of leadership. He's somewhat kind of known for that in the Christian community. He said this, and quote, he said, a leader is one who knows the way, who goes the way, and who shows the way. I think that's a good summarization. One who knows the way to go, understands for himself. He's going the way in practice. He's not just telling people to do things, but he's actually walking in those things. And then he's actually showing the way by example, providing guidance and direction to others. And so, so crucial, guys, that you understand that I grasp that part of our identity as a male, as a man, a central part of our identity as a man is knowing that you are a leader by God's design. You were born a male, and part of being born a male on top of testosterone and other things is God hardwired you to be a leader. And it's really crucial that we genuinely believe that, accept that, and important to recognize and embrace that is our God-given role. That as men, God's word declares that we are appointed by God and enabled by God, because God would not call us to do something and then not enable us to do something. He's called and enabled us to be leaders. That is God's design for us as males. It's our role. It is our responsibility. It is our duty before the Lord. Scripture is very clear that we are to serve providing solid leadership as husbands in our marriage relationship, as fathers and leaders in our home and family life, in the church, that there's to be male leadership, as well as obviously other ways, just in society, in work, out in culture, where we can demonstrate and provide leadership and influence. We're intended to be those as men who take the lead, who step forward, who take initiative to embrace that. It's our responsibility to be guiding the way, to be properly, and I emphasize properly, assertive to supply direction As men, we should not be passive or weak-willed, needing to be led. There shouldn't be this justification and excuse why would lead, but she has such a strong personality. That's called weak-willed. Since the Garden of Eden, Eve has wanted to lead. That's part of the curse. That's part of the dynamic and part of the struggle. But that's not a justification for why I don't lead properly. It's not a justification for why things get out of balance in a marriage relationship. It's important to believe, again, I keep emphasizing that God's hardwired you to be a leader. It's what God's called you to be. He's given you that potential. It's our responsibility to embrace it and to develop in what God has already called and created us to be. Uh, Many of you may know this name going a ways back. Vince Lombardi said this. He said, leaders aren't born they are made. They're not born, they're made. And again, the idea there is is leadership is something that's built. There's a growing process. And as a man, you do have, according to scripture, the raw materials for leadership because God created you that way as a male. 
It's in your constitution, whether you consider yourself a strong personality or maybe a more passive personality. Look, we all have different dynamics in our personalities, but that doesn't discount the fact that as a man, it's a matter of putting leadership into practice over time, growing in that area, embracing really our assignment. And the wonderful thing is if we follow the Lord and pursue his will in any area of his life, he always works in our lives to help us grow to develop, to progress and mature. I put in your notes there a statement of Jesus from Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Jesus made this statement, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Let me read that again with emphasis. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. In other words, notice Jesus can make you and I become what he wants for us to be. Let me say that again. Jesus can make you and I become what he wants for us to be. We have one responsibility, follow Jesus. Follow his lead, follow his direction, his guidance in our life. And Jesus says, even as he said to those disciples, if you follow my lead, I'll make you become what I intend for you to be. You don't have to make yourself that. You don't... I'll make you supernaturally by my work in your life and my teaching you become what I intend for you to be. And that's really true of leadership as well. And leadership always begins with us learning how to lead our own life properly first. That's leadership 101 right there. The place to learn leadership is to first learn how to lead your own life properly, that you're already living a stable and productive way as a man. That to some degree, you're learning how to guide your own life, provide a healthy degree of self-governance. And again, we've talked about that quite a bit in our first five sessions, which is the reason why, as much as I would love to launch right into this in the first session, I restrain myself and use self-control to take the first five lessons, because remember, the first five lessons were about commitment, convictions, discipline, decision-making, and being a conscientious man. And again, if I'm not someone who can exercise commitment in my life and discipline, and if I'm not someone who has convictions, some non-negotiables in my life, if I'm not someone who has discipline and learns how to walk in discipline and exercise self-discipline as an individual man, if I'm not someone who understands the importance of decision-making and how to make proper decisions, and if I'm not a conscientious man in the sense that I don't really care about what I do and so I'm very sloppy and irresponsible and, and I don't really put sincere effort and do a quality thorough job in everything that I do, then I'm not going to be a very good leader. Does that make sense? And, and so th this, the self-governance of learning how to lead my own life first is the absolute essential to learning how to be a healthy and effective leader. I, I can't tell you how many times I've sat with young couples, and I shouldn't just say young couples, but couples in general with conversations, you know, premarital counseling, and I always say, and, and I say it directly in front of the guy as well, whether he gets offended by it or not, I'm just trying to be honest and care about everyone involved and her as well, why she's still got a parachute and she can jump out the plane before she gets to the altar. And I say, look, if this guy can't lead his own life, you're crazy to think that he's going to be able to handle leading you. If he's not yet learned how to lead his own life spiritually, to walk with the Lord on his own, read his Bible, pray, go to church consistently, lead a Christian life, and just lead his life generally in a sense of learning how to have some self-governance and regulation and responsibility, are you crazy to think that you want to jump into that airplane with him and let him just lead you and, and in a sense turn over i mean that's a huge thing for a lady to turn over a degree of of leadership in her life and to trust a, a male to in a sense take over the role of her father in that way and so again this is so important it must begin with us leading our own lives again the bible tells us to rule our own spirit and to guide our own heart that's what proverbs 25 and uh, verse 28 and Proverbs 23, 19, they're in your note there. They both allude to that. No, who has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls, vulnerable. Uh, you're going to be vulnerable to being overcome. We must learn to rule our own spirit. 
and we have to learn to guide our own heart in the way. So again, we often say we cannot lead others any further than we've already gone ourselves. And just important to recognize that, whether that's spiritually or in any other area, we have to learn how to get some traction on the road of life ourselves before we should think about onboarding others with us in the journey. We have to learn how to get traction in our own Christian walk, leading a stable and godly life, as that's the foundation and preparation to provide leadership then to others as well. Leonard Ravenhill said this on the subject of providing leadership. He said this, a true shepherd leads the way. He doesn't merely point the way. A true leader leads the way. He doesn't merely point the way. So again, as we're simply going the right way ourselves as men, then we give others a clear pattern and a path to follow. And we inspire onlookers who are among us or connected to us to simply get on the road with us and to journey with us in the same direction because they realize looking at our life, it's possible. So they're motivated to join you and observe your lifestyle and then emulate your lifestyle as you're leading yourself and going in the right way. Paul spoke about this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now, that's a bold statement. I mean, contemplate what he's really saying there. Imitate me. You got to have a little degree of confidence to say to people, God, God, just imitate me. Just, just, whatever I do, do. But Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul says, the only reason I would ever tell you to imitate me is because I'm trying to do the best I can to follow the lead of the greatest man, and that's Jesus. And so I'm trying to follow his lead, and as I try and follow his lead, then he says, I'm willing to encourage you to follow my lead. Again, there's that idea there of, of I'm just going the way. I'm not just pointing, saying, follow Jesus. He said, follow me. I'm trying to follow Jesus. Another translation renders it the way I have it in your notes there. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So again, we're inspiring others by what we're seeking to do ourselves and just giving them that pattern. Uh, John Quincy Adams, who was the sixth president of our nation, he said this in connection to that. He said, if your actions inspire others to dream more, to learn more, to do more, and to become more, you are a leader. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, then he says, now you know you're a leader because you're having that influence on other people. Now, a common term used in the Bible when the subject of leadership is addressed, whether it's church leadership, marital leadership, family leadership, uh, kings and governors, a very common term you'll notice when you go throughout the scripture regarding the subject of leadership is you find the term rule, to rule. I put in your notes there a few of the references, 1 Timothy chapter 3 where Paul's given qualifications for church leadership, talking about the character of a man that should be present and that must also be maintained. Not just present at first to recognize leadership, but maintained to continue in leadership, or you should not be leading anymore, the Bible would say. And Paul alludes particularly to domestic leadership. In the midst of that, look at 1 Timothy 3, verse 4 and 5 in your notes there. He says, the man must be one, notice, who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? So God says leadership begins at home and with the family. And he said an essential thing to someone who can handle the responsibility to provide leadership in the church pastorally as an elder, an overseer, as the Bible would refer to, is he says it must be someone who's already proven that they are able to provide rulership and direction in their family life, that they're ruling their own household well, their family is in order, they're respected in their home life, they're showing they're able to provide leadership at home with their wife, with their children. He says, because if a man doesn't know how, to rule his own household. If he can't rule in that small setting with one or two or three with that size congregation, he said, then, then he's not gonna do a good job 
to be able to rule on a larger level, a larger family. And that's really what God's people are. We're the family of God. And so again, there's that essential where at home is where that's proved out first. And he says he won't properly be able to take care. So again, there's that criteria of providing rulership and direction. Hebrews 13, 7 says it this way, remember those who rule over you. Now there he's talking about spiritual leadership in the church. Remember those who rule over you, who've spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. Look at their lives, emulate the fruit that you see. Again, Hebrews 13, 17, same chapter, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls. Notice there's a big part of leadership watching out for the souls of people under your care as those who must give account. Again, recognizing as the leader, the, the role of a leader is not just ruling and domineering over people, as we'll talk about, but it's realizing I have a supervisory role for the welfare of other people God's entrusted under my care. And, and so important to realize when we see that word rule, in our mind, unfortunately, wrong connotations come about. The word rule, when you look at it and how it's used in context in the original language, does not mean in any way to control harshly. You know, we often think, oh, the rulership of a king. You need to rule over it. It implies nothing of controlling harshly or domineering by misusing authority. It means really, the term means just to supervise well and to manage for the best welfare of those under your care. That's the idea of the term that's used in family leadership, in church leadership, overseeing with care, supplying helpful guidance, directing in what's best, to be a guardian for the interests of others that may be more vulnerable or need some guidance or protection or direction. So the picture there, again, is, is just like a good shepherd overseeing his flock, guiding them, making sure they're fed, cared for. And I think the, the implication is just sensing a realistic degree of responsibility in our life for the welfare of those who've been entrusted to our care, whether that's a wife, whether that's a wife and children, whether, again, that's on a spiritual leadership way of caring about people in God's family, whether it's as a supervisor in a work environment or whatever that may be, that, that the leader, you sense a realistic degree of responsibility. I'm responsible for the welfare of these people. Th th I'm accountable for this. I'm accountable for how well my wife does, for how well my children do. Th that's the idea. You, you really sense like a degree of, I'm responsible for this. And that is what prompts you into taking on that role and to try and provide that good care. So again, never about abusing our authority. This has nothing to do with controlling people or bullying people in rude ways. A leader is not someone who's barking orders, contrary to what we've seen with bosses in jobs. It's not barking orders or manipulating people for self-serving purposes. Rather, healthy leadership is, we call it, leading from the front, right? Dave Ramsey always says, we're not pushing people, we're pulling people in the right direction with us. We're not pushing people, we're just pulling people in the right direction with us. And always remember, God's design for ideal leaders, and you find it in the scripture, is that healthy leaders are, we would call them servant leaders. That's ideal and God's picture of a healthy leader, a servant leader. That is the person who's the first one through the door, the one who's jumping into the work themselves, laboring and getting things done, and Jesus alludes to that in Mark chapter 10, how we're not to be like the way people lead in the unsaved pagan world, that we're to be the opposite of that. He says in Mark 10, look at it's in your notes there, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, how they, look what he says, lord it over them. Again, they, they want to make sure everybody knows they're the boss. They, they want to make sure, throw their weight around. They, they enjoy the feeling of being in charge. And it just feels good to them and something in their you know, psyche gets uh, gratified by being able to kind of throw their weight around and bark orders or put people into their place and tell them what to do and bulldoze people and so forth. And Jesus says, they exercise authority of them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first 
must be the slave of all. So Jesus said, you want to be great? Be a servant. Do you want to be the highest leader? You get to be the slave. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? <laughs> Makes everybody want to aspire to leadership, doesn't it? According to God's design. For even, he uses himself as the example, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give away, notice the idea is sacrificially, his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus uses himself as the example, right? The most important individual in human history, the Lord Jesus Christ comes to earth as a man. And if there were anybody who we might rightly say deserved to be served, <laughs> to be taken care of and catered to, he was king of kings. But yet Jesus said, I didn't come looking to be served. That was never my intention. I came with the, the desire to serve and to sacrifice my life for the welfare and the, the betterment of those around me. So again, Servant leaders, gentlemen, are the most effective leaders. And I tell you, God's wise in this because they will inspire a loyal following. You show me a servant leader, and I will show you people who rally behind and join them in a much more easy way. And, and it's not difficult to want to rally behind someone like that. It's not difficult. You show me a servant leader in a combat zone, and I will show you soldiers that will run into fires and bombs going off if their sergeant is a servant leader and he's the first one through the door and the first one charging the there's just something about that you show me that in a job place you show me that again in a in, in a situation with law enforcement and, and there's something about if someone's a servant leader people naturally much more easily are willing to loyally rally behind them so again having authority from god is never about abusing it or controlling people i put in your notes Paul's words as a great servant leader, 2 Corinthians 13, 10. Paul says there, therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present with you, I should use sharpness according to the authority. Look what he says, the authority which the Lord has given me. And then he says, why? For edification, that is to build people up, not for destruction, which means to harm people. So Paul understood that he had authority from the Lord, but he understood what his authority was for. He said, my authority from the Lord is not to crush someone's spirit, to destroy them, to, to, to railroad them with my authority. But he said, my authority has been given to me from the Lord to help build people's lives up. And you notice in this context, Paul's saying, I'm writing these things to you as he was writing the second letter because he says, if I come there, I'm afraid I'm going to have to use sharpness or the idea of Paul saying I'm afraid if I come there because you are so out of control as the church became remember he says I don't want to have to become stern or severe so I'm writing from a distance because if I come I feel like that's what's going to have to happen it's going to require that but I want you to take notice as a leader a servant leader Paul did not want to be firm Paul actually is indicating here I don't enjoy being firm I don't enjoy being stern. It was never his preference. He actually hoped to avoid that. He said, I would much more prefer th that, that if I could just build you up and guide you. But Paul understood, if I have to be stern and get sharp with you, there's a time a leader does have to do that. And that is true. But it wasn't his preference. That was the thing that he said, I'll do as a last recourse. If I got to be stern as your leader, I, th then I'll do that with the Lord's authority. And again, same thing with parenting. You know, the, the, no healthy father anyway should enjoy being stern with his kids. If you enjoy getting something off your chest because you got beat up in junior high, bullying your kids, you need to check your heart attitude. It, it should be a last recourse. There should be rare occasions where a father, if necessary, has to become very stern or very severe in the sense of, again, the idea is, it was what was essential because of the attitude or the rebellious spirit, or sometimes just it's necessary just to kind of bring things back into order. And again, that's not being out of control. It's just becoming stern. It's not freaking out, blowing our top. It's just being stern. And again, but Paul as a servant leader didn't want to do that. And I'll tell you why. And I believe I might have put this in your note there. If not, it's worth jotting down because leadership is mainly about influence. Let me say that again. Leadership is mainly about influence. It's not about controlling people. It's about healthy, strong influence. And I'll tell you, if you are trying to control people in an overbearing way or forcing people, 
I can tell you the reason why is because you don't have influence. Either you've never gained influence or you've somehow lost influence because healthy leadership is about influence. And if we have to bully or force people to do things, that's an indication that we're not having proper influence. Because if we have proper influence, that is sufficient to direct people and it's a very strong motivator. I never see Jesus bullying people. I never see Jesus forcing people. I see Paul writing letters to people like Philemon and saying to them, listen, though I could be bold in my authority from the Lord and command you to do this, and it would be appropriate, you would follow my order, Paul would say, but rather I appeal to you for love's sake. Would you please do the right thing? And again, there's the idea. Paul just had influence, and that influence was healthy. It was respected. It was appropriate, and bullying people is not leadership. That's dictatorship. Those are the people we want to get out of leadership. That's dictatorship. So leadership is about healthy influence. Good, healthy, solid leaders are providing influence. They're helping people make progress. They're doing things uh, you know, to, to help people do things they might not ordinarily do because that's what leadership does. It inspires people to get them to go maybe where they need to go or where they don't want to go to find ways through example and encouragement and balanced exhortation to prompt people to go in the right way. So again, that can manifest itself in many different ways, even in you know, offering counsel or input. You know, when I'm counseling people as a pastor, my job is not to you know, dictate to them what they're supposed to do with their life. It's to provide direction to them and try to influence them to want to do the right thing to try and offer them guidance, to see the right path, the reason that path is best, and to let them know that it's what's best for them and God's design and plan to influence them to maybe do what they need to do, to go the place they need to go because they recognize from the influence that they're experiencing that, hey, that is something I should embrace. Ronald Reagan, one of our great presidents, said this. He said, a great leader is not necessarily the one who does the greatest things. He is the one that gets people to do the greatest things. I like that. Not necessarily the one who can do all the greatest things, but they're able by influence to get people to do the greatest things. I put in your notes there just for some of your own research and and looking through by growing and learning, and I hope you want to grow and learn in this, and and I don't want to keep you here for three hours as, as I could. Just some examples in God's word if you want some character studies on leadership. Uh, don't go read the five power principles of leadership from the world's ideals and the read the word of God. There are lots of great character studies on leadership. If you want to draw observations, Nehemiah, great character study, read his book, trying to learn how to be a leader. Ezra, great examples, many great examples in there of a good leadership study. David's leadership, much of it very valuable to glean from the book of Joshua, Great example. Joshua was a wonderful example in many ways, great principles of leadership. And then two wonderful New Testament examples. If you want to do a character study on leadership, obviously our Lord Jesus can't get any better than that. Learned so much from looking at his life. And then, of course, Paul the Apostle, one of the greatest leaders in New Testament uh, history that we've had among the church age. Now, what I want to do and I want to kind of go through this at a rapid pace a little bit, is, is I just want to kind of reference what are some traits of good leaders or, or, or good leadership that we see in Scripture by observation and, of course, even that we see in society as well. And I want to kind of do it like a bullet point list, and I'm going to kind of rapidly go through after the first one or two just to kind of reference, you know, two, three key words. If you want to jot them down, you're more than welcome to. The first one I would say this as a trait of good leadership is provide example. Provide example in your character and in your action. I put some references there scripturally uh, in your notes. John 13, Jesus said, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, remember when he humbly served them in that way, you also ought to wash another's feet, for I have given you an what example that you should do as I have done. Jesus wanted to teach them how to love and be humble servants. What did he do? He gave them an object lesson. More is caught often than more is taught. Jesus didn't stand up and say, let me give you a sermon on how to be a servant. What did Jesus do? He just got up and he started serving people. (laughs) 
and everybody noticed what he was doing. And then after the example he provided, he said, hey, do you see what I've done? I've given you an example. Do the same thing now. And again, letting them know that by example was one of the best ways to learn to be led. 1 Peter 5, Peter talks about the same thing, talking to church leaders about shepherding God's flock and those under our care, watching over them. And he says at the end of his statements, he says, being eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted you, but being examples, Peter says, to the flock. Philippians 3, Paul says, brethren, join in following my example and take note of others too, he says, providing a good example because you have us for a pattern. And that's what an example is, just providing a pattern to observe and to emulate, to follow. And then Paul even told Timothy as a young man, Timothy, I don't care if you're young, don't give people a reason to disrespect you as a young man, but he says, be an example. Timothy, maybe people don't wanna to listen to what you have to say, then show them the right way. Be an example. Let your example preach all your sermons. Live your life as a way that's exemplary and that you're a pattern because he says, then people won't despise your youth and they'll say, man, kind of hard to ignore the example that young guy sets. Uh, and then your life becomes a sermon in and of itself and it also builds the credibility for people to want to listen, right, when they see a good example. And so again, providing example, key character trait to leadership. The second thing I would say is taking initiative. Taking initiative, that is you're able to assess a situation and then not just assess it, but take on responsibility. Again, back to Jesus' example in John 13. When Jesus saw the room filled with a bunch of dirty feet and nobody had done the common task, which was courtesy when you entered a home, which was to wash the feet of your guests when they came in, Jesus is sitting there in that situation. All the disciples are doing what you and I probably would do like carnal individuals. Man, this place has got horrible service. Where's the servant, man? Can't th this, the atmosphere in here stinks. Everybody's feet are dirty. Where's the cleaning team? And what does Jesus do? He assesses the situation. He gets up and he takes initiative. And without saying a word or telling others to do it, he just takes initiative because he was a leader and he just starts assessing and then addressing, not just assessing, but addressing the situation. He just gets up and starts taking care of it. And I tell you this, gentlemen, you see this in all good Bible leaders, all good family leaders, and all good business leaders is they are individuals who without being asked or told what to do, they see what needs to be done and they're just doing it. They're just doing it. And they just take, they just take on responsibility. They just start addressing things. And as men, particularly, let me say in family life, with our family, with our wives, with our kids, that's what we should be doing as men. Do you want to start being an example and then start second to be a better leader? Guys, just start taking care of things so that your wife doesn't have to. Just start addressing things. Just take care of matters so that they don't have to. Shield them from it. You handle it. And then she won't have to handle it. And then she might not complain because nobody handled it. <laughs> Just start taking initiative and addressing things. Third thing I would say very important in leadership is be a person of character. Be a person of character. Here's why. That's what gives you credibility. Character equals credibility. No character equals no credibility or loss of credibility. So seek to be a man of character. If you're a man of character and you have integrity in your character, that will give you credibility and it will give you a platform to be able to lead others because people will be responsive to you. Next, I would say another thing about leadership is maintain composure. Leaders have to maintain composure. The captain on the ship, when the storm comes and everything's going crazy, if the captain's running around freaking out, even though maybe there's a just basis to freak out, but if he's running around freaking out, the whole crew's going to go into chaos, right? Somebody's got to maintain composure in the midst, of, and that's part of what leaders must do. They have to be able to maintain composure in the crisis, when things get complicated, when times are hard. They have to be able to separate their own emotions, their own struggles, their own challenges mentally, emotionally, and maintain composure to provide a stable influence, to make everyone else feel, in a sense, even if it may not be true, it's going to be okay. And they're thinking, it's going to be okay. 
The battleship's going down. No, we're going to figure this out. And, and, and that maintaining composure is crucial because that's a, a crucial part of providing leadership. Again, if, if you're falling apart or freaking out or you can't maintain composure, then everything's going to unwind. Somebody has to maintain composure. That's a very essential part of leadership. We already talked about exercising influence. I won't delve into that further, just inspiring with an effect upon other people that they want to do as you do. So, you know, exercising influence. Another part to leadership is offering guidance. Offering guidance. You have to be able to be intentional and I think even proactive to offer direction to people. That's a part of leadership. It's not always giving people your uh, opinion as much as it is just recognizing, hey, as a leader in my family, with my wife, with my children, in a church setting, in a job place, wherever, that part of leadership is being someone who is intentional and proactive to provide direction, to offer helpful insight, to suggest a way to handle something or navigate a path. Again, doing it graciously, but at the same time, not being silent and just watching people struggle when you could offer a little bit of input and guidance that may help them and realizing that's part of my role as a leader to, to offer a little bit of counsel, right? And, and, and I think some of us, we maybe, we get burned because the first time our teenager back talks us or, or gives us a little bit, of, oh, I choose my battles. I'm, I don't want to tell her what to do anymore. I don't want to tell him to do it anymore because I get pushback. Well, that's called because they're a kid. <laughs> Doesn't mean you're supposed to stop offering guidance. They need insight. They need direction. And whether direction's received or not, that's the part, you know, in a sense with our children, we have to navigate that and still provide authority and direction. But well, last time I offered guidance, nobody did what I wanted them to do anyway. Doesn't mean you shouldn't have offered guidance. That's still the role of a leader, to offer input, to offer guidance. I think another important thing, and I say this right afterwards purposely, another part of leadership is, jot this down, listen to others. Listen to others. Don't just think it's your job to give guidance because you know everything and nobody else knows anything. Good leaders listen to others. Seek input. Consider other people's thoughts. Hear their ideas and truly take them into consideration. That's how we call making well-informed decisions. Remember all the Proverbs we saw about that? With the well-advised, there is wisdom, safety in a multitude of counselors. God told Abraham on one occasion, don't listen to your wife, but he also told him on another occasion, listen to your wife. And so again, good leaders will listen to others, seek input purposely, and really consider the ideas of others to come to conclusions. And sometimes it helps to make better leadership uh, help in decisions. Another area of leadership, again, we talked about this in a whole session, is being a decision maker, that you're able to handle making choices and that you make wise choices because you've developed how to be a good decision maker. And I would say probably one of the fundamental parts I would attach being a decision maker with leadership would be in this area, guys, it would be this, is be decisive. If you're going to be a leader, you've got to be able to make the call, right? If the quarterback is the guy who, when he goes into the huddle, is supposed to call the play, he can't run to the huddle and say, what, what do you guys think? What do you guys think? I don't know. I just, I'm not really sure. Uh, let's just wing it. No, that's not going to work, right? He goes, we're going to run a blah, 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 blah. I don't like that play. We're going to run a blah, 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 blah. Maybe the wrong play. Good thing you got another one afterwards. Now we just lost 10 yards. But you got to be decisive. You have to be able to come to a decision, not flounder all around. If you're going to lead, if I'm going to lead, we've got to make decisions. I tell you a lot of times where I see the struggle between husbands and wives, a lot of it boils down to her natural propensity is she rises up and just starts making decisions because he's just not decisive. He doesn't just make a decision and just say, hey, this is what we're going to do and just walk it out. And because of that kind of, you know, fluctuating or the lack of being decisive, she naturally then just rises up and takes control or she just makes decisions or she always challenges decisions. So, again, very important, not just being able to make decisions, just be decisive. Another area of leadership, be a self-starter. That again, you don't need to be told or reminded. You see what needs to be done. 
and you start taking care of it. Great to be a self-starter, someone who takes initiative and addresses things. Another vital thing to leadership, I would say, is this. These two words is exercise courage. Leaders have to exercise courage. We can't be afraid as leaders to pursue what's right, which sometimes means facing risk. Sometimes it means dealing with resistance. <laughs> That's part of leadership, whether in family life, marriage, parenting, in the job place, even in spiritual ministry. Sometimes you got to deal with degrees of resistance. So if we're going to lead, we've got to have a little bit of steel in the old backbone, a little bit of thickness to our skin because it takes exercising courage. And courage, we'll talk about in a great degree later on, it's not the absence of fear. Courage is being willing to acknowledge and then confront fear because you see a more important thing than just the fear that you're struggling with. That's what courage is. And so exercising courage as a leader means I got to have backbone to uphold standards if nobody else will. I got to have backbone at times to hold the line and not compromise on important things whether I'm liked or not. It means at times to exercise courage, I can't be afraid to step forward and you can't be afraid maybe even to attempt things or maybe new things, right? Sometimes that's a part of leadership. You, you got to be willing to, to, to take the ship where it hasn't gone before. And it takes courage to do that sometimes. And these are all components to that courage that's needed at times as a leader. Another important thing regarding leaders is they have to be protective. To me, that's important in leadership. A leader has to be protective. You got to be looking out for the welfare of those you're responsible for. And if that's your flock and who you care for or who you have oversight over, you have to be someone who is willing to be protective enough that you're willing to step in. If you see something jeopardizing their safety or their health or their welfare, you have to have a degree of a protective nature to shield those under your care and that you're not going to stand by if there's a time to step in to guard or to safely protect them. Again, whether our wives, our children, whoever's under our stewardship. Leaders also have to know how to supply correction. Again, identifying error, that's one thing, but nobody likes confronting or addressing error, but that's part of leadership. It's part of parenting, right? Parenting's not just teaching and training and, and controlling. It's also correcting our kids when they're wrong. That's just a, a natural part of leadership. You have to be willing to redirect those who are going in a wrong direction, address and help correct error when needed. Leaders have to be also problem solvers. Again, identifying what needs to be fixed and then proposing real solutions. Nobody likes, whether a leader or not a leader, people who identify problems and that's all they do. People like problem solvers, right? They can identify a problem, but they can also offer real solutions or they find real solutions. So again, we don't wanna be a problem starter but we certainly as a leader want to be someone who's a problem solver. Again, that, that's a, a very, very important thing. And I'll tell you, there's probably no more wonderful thing you could do on occasion in a loving way than to offer to do that for your wife, for your kids. You know, there are many, many times <laughs> over the years with my wife and my daughters where I could just tell they were you know, just, just on overload. Whether it was trying to respond to a friend because of, you know, teenage drama, whatever, just g give me your phone. Give me your phone. There you go. See that? Do you agree with that? Hit send. Problem solved, sweetheart. She would have been there for the next six hours having an emotional, you know, anxiety attack. It's just problem solved. <laughs> There's your response. Send that back. And so it's just a very helpful thing at times just to lovingly step in. Let me solve the problem for you. Provide a solution. I think leaders also have to be willing to take on responsibility. And that means not only to get things done, but taking responsibility as a leader means if things don't go the right way or situations go amiss, you got to own it. That's part of leadership. You can't excuse make, blame shift. Leaders got to take ultimate ownership. You got to take responsibility and not make excuses. To be a good leader, it also requires being sacrificial. And again, the reason why, remember Jesus said, the more you're entrusted with, the more you're responsible for that's how it goes in life generally. The more we know, the more we're held accountable to. So if I'm going to be a good leader, I have to be sacrificial. It means I got to be someone to realize more is going to be required of me. I'm a husband now. I'm a father now. I'm a leader now. More. That's just that goes with the territory. There's going to be a greater degree of sacrifice required if we're going to lead. 
Leaders have to exercise commitment and dedication, providing that consistency. We talked about that in a whole session. But again, if leaders aren't exercising dedication or commitment, how's that going to work for others who are following them if they don't see that dedication and commitment from the top down, if you would? Crucial thing as well, a few more here. Leaders need to maintain humility. To maintain humility. If not, I'll tell you, if someone does not maintain humility as a leader, they become an absolute monster. And that's probably an understatement. They become a monster. They become a tyrant. They become someone who is just very, very unhealthy. So important that you never confuse having authority with thinking that you should not maintain humility. Jesus had incredible authority. And was Jesus not incredibly meek? That's called having authority under control. And that you maintain humility. Again, humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking about ourselves less. Does that make sense? It's just thinking about ourselves less. We don't have an inflated view of ourselves, whether we're a leader on this level or a le- that we maintain humility. We lovingly exercise our leadership with people. Another thing I think I found helpful for leadership, for me anyway, is, is it's important as a leader to always be eager to learn more. Always be eager to learn more because there is always avenues to grow more, to make progress. Be a constant learner. You're a constant learner. I tell you, you'll be a great teacher. You'll be a constant learner, someone who's always growing, always trying to make progress, and it will really help you as a leader because you'll be able to be better at guiding and assisting and helping others. I think another important thing with leadership, I would say this, these two words together, make an honest assessment. And here's what I mean by that, an honest assessment. Are other people actually following you? And, and, and let me convey what I mean by that on a greater level. Not are other people listening to you, are they actually following you? Because if I think I'm providing leadership or I say that I'm a leader and I look behind me and nobody's following me, am I really a leader? Maybe in my head I am. Maybe by title or badge I am. Maybe on my business card I am. But leaders don't have people who listen to them. Leaders are people who have people follow them. And, and, and that's good as an honest assessment. Are people actually following me? Not just listening to me because they're afraid of my authority, but are they actually following me? Do they actually respond to my leadership? Leaders also have to have vision, not only to see what needs to be done and where we need to go, but sometimes that vision as a leader means you can see obstacles that everybody else sees, but you're able also to say, hey, I see a way beyond these obstacles, and we can find a way over the mountain or around this situation and navigate hindrances where other people, they, they need that help from a leader sometimes. They see the obstacles, and it's just impossible. But, and a leader at times has to be able to kind of see the ways to navigate those things. And then one other thing I would say regarding kind of a, a trait is I would say, and we'll talk about this in our last session as well, is that leaders need to love and care about people. You've got to love and care about people because if not, your leadership will turn into just using people as a resource. And we don't ever want to go there. We don't want to lead in a way we're just using people like a resource to serve our interests. You've got to genuinely care about individuals. So one major thing I'll tell you guys to establishing a good ground for leadership and maintaining a long-term ability to lead to keep people receptive is this is we have to build and maintain trust and respect with people. That becomes the initial foundation for leadership. It's what everything else is built on because if people trust you, they'll be receptive to you. If people respect you, they'll be open to allowing you to provide guidance or direction or correction or to to lead the way. We must, if we want to lead, we have to earn respect. We have to establish trust with people and to indicate that we are a safe person to them, to indicate we're a stable individual to them, because that's what breeds that receptivity, because people will follow someone they respect and that appears to be safe and appears to be stable and actually looks like maybe they know the way. That's what gives them that receptivity. I put in your notes there, Nehemiah chapter 2. 
where it tells us that Nehemiah, as he was leading the people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, remember everything was a mess, and Nehemiah said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in waste, its gates are burned with fire? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the good hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and the king's words that he spoke to me. So they said, now here's their response, let us rise up and build, and they set their hands to do this good work. Do you catch that there? Nehemiah says, hey, this is a mess. Get out there and fix that wall, man. He said, let us rebuild these walls. Let's do this. And because they respected him, because he established credibility and trust with them, they said, let us do it. Let's do this together. And what I want you to see there is strong leadership will always breed commitment. Strong, healthy leadership will always breed commitment. If people trust our heart and our direction, there will be a deep loyalty that will result quite naturally, where you, in a sense, in a much easier way, are able to guide the way and people will respect and be receptive and they won't be hesitant to follow because you've established trust with them and credibility with them and they see you're safe and stable. Jeremiah, God said, I'll give you shepherds, those who lead and oversee according to my heart. Again, that's the kind of heart God wants us to have, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. It is true that everything, guys, has been said before, rises and falls with leadership. And I think it's really wise that we take responsibility of that really seriously. Look at the last verse I put in your notes there. Judges chapter 5, verse 2. We'll conclude with this. This is a woman, Deborah, making this declaration regarding men. And look what she says. Here's a lady making a declaration about men. When leaders lead, bless the Lord. You see what that lady's saying there? When leaders, who are supposed to be leaders, when they actually lead, praise the Lord, she said. Praise the Lord. Because what was Deborah doing? She was having to lead because men weren't leading. So again, when leaders lead, you know, by the grace of God, may he help us as leaders do our job to lead. Let's stand together, guys. Father, thank you for these brothers. Thank you for our times that we can spend together. And Lord, we just want to pray together as a group of weak and imperfect and feeble men, Lord, that by the grace and the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would help us to be the leaders as men that you've called us to be, Lord. We know you've given us the assignment. We don't even have to question that, Lord. Would you give us the grace and the help and the power of your Spirit and the willingness to yield to that and to embrace the assignment and to grow in our effectiveness in these ways. And we ask these things together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Good to see you again.